History is full of people whose stories have been lost to time, particularly those of women and minorities whose accomplishments weren't deemed worthy enough to preserve for the historical record. Lucky for us, there are authors who like to excavate these characters from the folds of history. I'm Lisa Chernkovich, and this is Chapter 191 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast, and I can't wait to introduce you to a Black woman from the early 20th century who accomplished things unimaginable for her gender and race. You'll also get to meet the two authors who've brought her story into the light. You could say the past and present collided when Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray were writing The Personal Librarian. The historical novel recounts the life and struggles of Belle da Costa Green, the woman who essentially created J.P. Morgan's famous manuscript collection. Not only did she hold a position of power in the years before women even had the right to vote, but she did so while hiding her black identity to pass as white. For the authors, Benedict, who's white, and Murray, who's black, the collaboration resulted in a lifelong bond as they tackled not only the challenges Belle faced, but also came face to face with the horrors of modern day racism. I think we should be good to go. And I'm really excited to talk to both of you today because I, I loved this book. I loved the story, and it's really one of my favorite kind of stories because when we get to learn about a woman whose contributions have been lost to history, or maybe not lost, maybe just buried, and, and it takes authors like you to come along and resurface it, and her story is even more impractical because of who she was, what her background was, and what she did. So you have to tell me, how did you stumble across Bella DeCoste Green in the first place? Well, actually, it was a long time ago. I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit how long it was, but um, I was a New York City lawyer for over a decade before I started writing books about historical women. And um, but I was I feel like I must have been collecting them all the time. And um, I uh, I used to kind of flee my my work job for for you know little periods of escape. And I loved the Morgan Library, which. If people haven't aren't familiar with it, haven't had the chance to visit it, it is like this stunning jewel box, and it's just stunning. And I happened to be there one day, and um, a docent mentioned Belle Costa Green to me. There were there weren't a lot of plaques about her. There wasn't really, as far as I could see, any other information about her. Um, and she mentioned that um, J.P. Morgan, who built the Morgan Library in the early 1900s, had hired a woman to help him run it. And she became his librarian, his curator, his right-hand person, his representative um, on a professional level and much more, of course, on a personal level. Um, and I was hooked. I, I really felt like her story was so important. And, um, you know, that's what I do. I kind of excavate these women from the past. Um, and it, she was on my list for a long time. Um, but the more I learned about it, the more I learned her story was even more textured and important. And I learned that she was actually black, passing as white. And it was at that time that I knew I wanted to find um, a black woman to write the story with me. I felt like it was necessary. Um, you know, it wasn't right or appropriate for me as a white woman to try and venture into that, that world myself. I, I really couldn't envision what it would be like to be a black woman in the past or now, really. Um, and so I kind of put it on the, on the back burner for a while. And then I read Victoria's book. 
Stand Your Ground, which examines this terrible issue of the shooting of young black men by police officers from the perspective of the women. It, it looks at it from the perspective of the mother of the, of the boy and the wife of the white police officer. And it was just such a beautifully written book about a difficult issue. Looking at it from really fresh perspectives, I I hoped she would want to write it with me. So I sent her um, through our agents, I sent her a treatment and a, and a, a chapter or two, I can't even really remember now. Um, and then we waited and <laughs> Victoria to tell you what happened next. Okay, so then I love the way Marie sets this up that she had to wait for me. But <laughs> yes, it was that way. Uh, it but, was that way. Yes, it was. My, so my agent sent me this, um, um, idea to do a collaboration with an author. And so I thought that was great because I've done collaborations before and I actually enjoy them better than writing alone because you have somebody to work it out with. And um, just, I think it gives you a, a deeper, richer story from two perspectives. So I thought it was a great idea, except then I went and um, Googled Marie Benedict. And so I looked, she wrote these wonderful stories about women lost in the folds of history. It was great, except I didn't know what she wanted to do with me. What did it have to do with me? So I called my agent back before I even read anything. And I was like, Liza, are you sure? Like, has Marie seen a picture of me? Is she looking for me or another Victoria Christopher Murray? Um, it can't really be me. She's like, look, just go ahead and read it. I know what I'm doing. So then I tried to read it, and the first paragraph was about J.P. Morgan and how he was, um, you know, financing. I knew who he was, and I couldn't get past the first paragraph because I didn't care about J.P. Morgan. So I kept putting it aside, and my agent would call, and I said, I'm busy. And then finally she called, she said, you can't be that busy. It's two pages. You cannot be that busy. Read it. And I was with the author that I do other collaborations with, and so together we read it. And the second page got more interesting because it was about Belle. By the third paragraph on that second page, I couldn't get to the phone fast enough to call my agent to say, when can I meet Marie? I hope she wants to work with me. I love that story. It's a great story. And also, I think you write in your author's note that that's why reading is fundamental. Reading is <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> it is so because I let that sit for, it was ridiculous how long I let it sit. Um, because I wasn't interested in J.P. Morgan, and I should have known that there was more to it. But it is a fun story to tell because I had no idea what she could possibly want with me. I thought maybe she hadn't seen my picture. She had heard about another Victoria Christopher Murray out there. So. But I wanted this Victoria, and I was so happy when she finally read it. I had almost given up hope. Um, and agreed. Um, it was it was the beginning, the birth of a, a beautiful partnership and friendship. And I want to get into that a little bit later because I know that besides just becoming like really great writing partners, you really bonded over everything was go that was going on around the writing and the sister. editing of the book. She's my sister. Oh, absolutely. The fact that Belle was able to succeed at a time when women didn't have careers. And to do that while also basically living this lie, this had to be a very heart-wrenching choice for her. And I know there isn't a whole lot left from her to be able to tell that part of the story. So how did, what did you guys do? How did you decide to, to tell her story? 
Um, so I, I see Victoria looking at me because it's about the research. Uh, <laughs> so we started, you know, as you mentioned, a bell. There, Bell burned all of her personal correspondence. She left quite a bit of her business correspondence at the Morgan Library, but we feel like she was so determined to make sure that the legacy she left behind, which was the Morgan Library as a public institution and the wonderful programming she developed, um, she she was very concerned that if people found out about her real identity, that it might undercut that legacy. And so she really did go about in the latter years of her life destroying her personal correspondence. So we didn't have anything specifically from Belle that told us how she felt about passing, that that really shared up, shared with us her emotions about leaving behind this really rich um, heritage that she got from her mother, Genevieve Fleet. Her mother had grown up in um, as part of this free community of color in Washington, D.C. that had been free for generations, had wonderful traditions and culture around it and the teachings of her father who was a richard t greener was the first black graduate of harvard he was um oh gosh a famous orator um he was a, a professor at the university of south carolina during its brief period of integration advocate for civil rights really the civil rights act of 1875 um and um she had to leave all that behind to move forward into this white world when it became clear to her mother that segregation was really going to be um, what was what the future was going to hold for her children. Um, so Victoria and I had to. Um, that's an area where sort of that blend of fact and fiction came into play because normally when I write about historical women, I love letters and journals and all that sort of thing, and you you don't always have it because women's histories were not always considered worthy of keeping. Um, and I think what Victoria and I did was draw on and I should talk about this in more detail, but her personal her personal experiences with racism, her family's experiences with passing. And we did supplementary research on the, the history of passing and the experience of passing. There's some wonderful books that collect historical documentation. One is The Chosen Exile by Allison Hobbs. And, and these books you know, do take existing records and interviews of people who did pass and really explore it from um, an emotional standpoint. In our case, because we didn't know how Belle felt, um, we kind of had to go around the issue and kind of look at what historically, what passing looked like for, for people. Um, but we really did draw extensively on Victoria's own family experiences. And Victoria would, uh, would love if you'd be able to, to share with us how your own personal history, your family history, your own experiences made their way into this book and made it much more richer for that. Yes. So it was really interesting on the first call, actually on the first call, Marie and I already were friends. It was just crazy that I could have spoken with somebody and become so close to them. But on the first call, I don't know if you remember, Marie, we talked about passing. We did. And I said that Belle would never have been afraid of being outed by a white person. Because during that time, um, I, people didn't know about mixed race. People weren't thinking about that. So it was just black and white, except for black people who had come from the plantation and they knew the shades of being African-American. And so um, I, I discussed that with Marie because my own grandmother would pass, but she would only pass for convenience. So like on a, on a train ride from North Carolina to New York and the accommodations are so bad 
or going into the bank when she moved to New York or different, she would just do it for convenience or she wouldn't correct someone if they assume that she was white, mm -hmm. uh, just, just to move through the world a little easier. And so that was my experience um, of it. I was able to send Marie a picture of my grandmother. So she would have that visual in her head as she was writing about Belle's mother. Uh, and so we, I knew what it was like to pass. I knew what it would feel like. Um, I'm not the only one. I don't think I have a, an African-American friend who doesn't have someone in their family who passed, whether for convenience and moments or um, did it as a lifestyle. So it was very easy to put that part in. And, and one of the things that Marie and I wanted to make sure was that people understood the struggle and the sacrifice. It wasn't that they were moving into this new world and, hey, I'm white now, this is great. Um, because one of the things I wanted, we wanted to make sure about um, Belle's mom was that she wasn't passing to be white. She was passing to be equal. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that because she was in the fight for equality with her husband. And so she gave up. She just gave up after she felt that the country had gave up on them. What surprised me the most of, of the history in the book is that there was this very small window after the Civil War where there was an effort to make sure that blacks and whites were equal and on the same page. And everything that happened in the South and Reconstruction and the laws and all that just kind of like decimated that and bulldozed it. And I honestly, I had no idea there was even that small window. I just thought we went from the Civil War and then just people were not happy in it and nobody was ever on the same footing. Yeah, I knew about Reconstruction, but I that's what I knew. The word, I knew that um, African-Americans have been elected into political positions in the South. But uh, that one in our first conversation, Marie told me about the Civil Rights Act of 1875. So I'm embarrassed that I remembered a little bit about it, but it was Marie that brought it to the forefront. Marie, do you want to talk about that time? Because it was wonderful what you told me. Oh, well, I, I felt like, you know, as a lawyer, um, you know, I practiced law for a long time. I, you know, I started to learn about um, Bell's father and his role in sort of advocating for the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And so as a lawyer, I then wanted to dive deep into what that looked like and not just his advocacy, but what the law could have done. And, and the more I looked at it, the more I sort of dug into that time period, the more astonished I was, like you, Lisa, like that, you know, the moment when we could have gotten things right. There was this moment in time when everything was aligning to put our country on a path to equality way back in the 1870s. Um, and as equality rose up as a as, as a real possibility, and I, and I think it's really important for our book that Bell's parents were very much at that forefront. They were at the forefront of that possibility. You know, them coming down to the University of South Carolina and and being a key having key roles in that institution, becoming integrated. I, Bell's mother wouldn't have even gone south prior to that. It would have been too dangerous. She could have been taken and, and, and brought into slavery. So, you know, that promise was so rich and so um, hopeful, that moment in time. And, and that astonished me that we could have gotten it right. And then when equality rose up, racism and segregation rose up right along with it, almost as a fear reaction to it. And it derailed that whole process. It led to the institution of se segregation, 
Jim Crow laws and decades and decades of racial problems in our country. Like if we would have just stayed on that path. Um, and I couldn't help but think about how the, um, the loss of that hope, the loss of that possibility affected Belle and her parents so dramatically and put her in this place where this brilliant, bright, bold woman had to pass to succeed. The fact that we're still living the repercussions of that, that brings me to you guys started editing this during the height of the pandemic. And then when all the, the social justice protests, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter were, were at a head. And as I understand it, this created a bond between the two of you that you didn't even think would happen while writing this book. We didn't. And I thought we were already close. We were, yeah. I adore Marie. I thought we were already, you know, good friends. We already had the first draft, the good book. And then we had to sit down and, and talk to each other every day through Zoom because we weren't traveling anymore. You know, both of us had been on the road a lot. Now my road, my road trips were from the living room to the kitchen. That was as far as I could go. And, um, and so we had to sit down and it was perfect because we talked to each other through Zoom every day. And in the beginning, you know, we were, the, that was the pandemic, but right then George Floyd happened. And it was just amazing because we talked every day because we were in that second edit and had to get it done. But around us every day, something was happening. We were watching the marches and everything. And every day before we began, Marie would check in on me, kind of do a mental health check in on me. Though it was really interesting because just as many days I had to pull her back from the edge. I had to say to her, now, come on, let's look at this. The Central Park thing sent her over the oh, edge. I can't even and talk about I that. was like, we've got to look at this all kinds of ways. <laughs> and so um, it was just, but we had to talk about race. We had to talk about race before we were talking about race of another person and what they were going through. Now we had to talk about race, what was happening to us and to me. And I opened up to Marie about things I'd never talked to a white person about. Um, because one, I do believe I have, I don't have white privilege, but I do have black privilege. I grew up middle class. I grew up knowing I was going to go to college. I knew I was going to get a master's. I, so I am very careful not to complain um, because I do recognize my privilege and I don't want it to come off as a complaint. So I talked to my black girlfriends, not my white girlfriends about that. But as Marie and I were talking, I had to talk to her about it. I had to talk to her about the microaggressions I suffer every single day. I had to talk to her about before I go out of my place, I have to brace myself. You know, you, and it's just something that all black people do. You just brace yourself for the day because it's not a friendly world out there. And um, so whether you're going to be followed in the Apple store or somebody's going to question whether you are where you're supposed to be or whether you start having heart palpitations when you see a, a police siren or you see the lights in your back mirror, every day we go through something. We just press it down. And it was really good to share it with somebody else because when i'm sharing it with my girlfriends we all go oh yeah um when marie and i did our interview with deb roberts 
um, I mentioned one of those things and she looked at me like, oh, yeah, that's what, and she then told us something that happened with her. I mean, it's just, we do it every day. But Marie wasn't saying, oh, yeah. She was like, what the heck? Right. Uh, I, I was so upset and so, well, first of all, I felt so honored that Victoria would trust me to tell me those things, you know, to tell me of these, you know, not, not that she had to suffer through them, but that she felt that she could share that with me. Um, and, and of course, then my immediate reaction is, you know, I want to run down to, to her apartment building and take her, take care of people. Not that Victoria can't take care of things, but uh, that protective part of me. And, and then, you know, as the days went on and, you know, she's telling me about the daily things and I'm seeing these large scale social justice, social injustice things happening around us. And then we're talking about the historic racism and the historic issues in our country. I mean, the lens through which I, I viewed the world utterly changed, and um, and it affected not just how I how I move in the world now, and and my relationship with Victoria, but it I think it infused. Don't you think, Victoria? It infused everything we wrote about with everything. Bob. Everything we wrote about. I don't. I can't explain it, but all of those emotions found their yeah. way onto the page. And for the first time, I felt like um, it, I wasn't, we weren't just writing about the sacrifices, we were experiencing the sacrifices. And for the first time, I felt, um, the, you know, I, I could imagine from Victoria the weight of those microaggressions, the weight of Belle's fear of being found out, um, and understanding how she might be found out. Like, just from the beginning, Victoria was like, Heather, she's not going to be found out by one of the white people in her circle, uh, one of the one of the black people in her circle are going to um, are going to know her identity, and that's what she's going to be fearful of. One of them to uh, you know make, which is something I would have never even considered had I written this book myself. Like, there are just so many layers that, um, unless you really try to look at the world through someone else's eyes, um, you can't even fathom fathom it. And Victoria, I guess that whole idea that it would be someone who who was just like her who would out her is that like the genesis of her mother's advice that don't yeah. look any and black they, person in the eye yeah and that's direct advice that i've heard from other people telling people and even um a little embarrassed to say this but even with an educated black person um, entering into the world, your parents may say to you, okay, when you're sitting in the boardroom and someone's serving, you don't start a conversation. You keep your focus on um, your white counterparts. Um, only because I would go up and talk to anybody <laughs> at any time. So, um, you know, he, those were direct things that I knew her mother would tell her because we didn't know if everybody who recognized her for who she was would be friendly. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always gonna be friendly fire. Um, we could have just as easily written a scene where someone um, said, oh, you're trying to be uh, white, you're trying to be better than me. Mm -hmm. But we just had so much. So that's where it came from. That's, that's real conversations. Mm -hmm. I know every book has to be personal, but it really sounds like this book is probably the most personal book you've each written to date. Ever. Oh, me. ever. For sure. Without question. I mean, the emotion that, I mean, for me personally, that um, 
I experienced in this book, it was, it was really transformative for me as a, as a person. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to speak for Victoria, but certainly for me, it was the most most personal book, most emotional book to write. I mean, there were definitely times when we were talking about scenes, I, I was just crying. I mean, I just, it, it, it was, it shouldn't have been astonishing, the things that Victoria were told me, because I, I have read about things and I've heard things, but to actually have her tell me, you know, one-on-one -on -one and, and share how that experience felt to her was, was very, very powerful for me. Do you hope that readers will have these conversations with people in their own lives and and have these same kind of feelings i think it started with our rewrites when we realized that both of us were changing and things were happening marie gave me permission excuse me to speak about race to speak about race with someone who wasn't black and i'd never had that before uh, and so we, I was thinking, wow, if we could just talk, because we'd say the most segregated hour in the country is when, um, is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock when everybody's at church, but it's also any book club hour. I think book clubs are segregated. And so if people could just come together and talk, because one of the things I know about speaking with Marie is that the microaggressions are every day. And they stack up and you just take them and you just take them until everybody's gonna blow mm -hmm. at some point everybody blows and then all you see is an angry black woman in a store and you'll be like what's the big deal that i served the white people before i served you you're gonna get come next um but people don't see the history of it being every single day until you just explode and so, um, and that was that, that I just told you about being served happened to me right? <laughs> all the time. And so I, um, we just had this great wish that if people just came together and really spoke and then become friends and really become friends. Like I know I keep saying that um, Marie is my friend and my sister I knew it the other day when I suffered a little bit of a microaggression. The first thing I did was text her. I would have never done that before. I would have only texted my black friends. I forgot she was white. She's <laughs> my sister. So I was like, can you believe? And then I was like, oh my God. And then her response reminded me because then I had to pull her back off the edge. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, again, I, I, I know I've said it, but it shouldn't surprise me. And yet it did. And, and having, you know, being so close to Victoria and then being brought into those experiences with her, it's like, I, I obviously I'm not feeling them, but I can feel some, some portion of that. Um, but like Victoria said, like, as we were writing this book and, and then as we were writing the reader's guide, remember Victoria, our more and more, our desire came <laughs> Um, to, to, you know, came to a head and we, we, we all obviously always wanted to bring Belle to light and, and have people see her in the scope of history where she really belongs, right, in her contributions. Um, but the more we wanted people to have the kind of experience we had of, of having honest, frank, sometimes difficult conversations about a topic that one-on-one -on -one we generally avoid. One-on-one, -on -one, you know, um, you know a, a black and a white person together unless they're, they have to talk about race, 
are probably not going to bring it up. They're going to find other areas of commonality. And yet, if we don't come together to talk about it and start to see the world through someone else's eyes, how can we ever bridge the divide, right? And to Victoria and I to actually come together and, and talk about Bell's situation as, as a starting point is, is an entree into those conversations. It's, you know, I often find, because I do write about exclusively historical women, and I'm always looking for stories that are timely, um, have timely issues in them. People often feel more comfortable talking about tougher topics when there's a little bit of a remove of time and distance. And um, in talking about Belle and what she experienced, um, maybe, just maybe, even if it's just one black and white book club or one, one two readers coming together, <laughs> to bridge that divide, um, that would be just an amazing, amazing gift. I mean, for me, the best gift of this whole experience, you know, in addition to letting people know about Belle is, is my friendship with Victoria. And if this one person could come away um, from reading our book, um, from conversations that were, you know, sparked from those conversations, that would be amazing. You know what, as, as you guys are, are, are talking about this, all I could think of is that I know Belle's legacy is creating a library and massing this collection and being the woman who she was. But in a way, you guys have, have created a, another legacy for her, which is maybe we can we can start talking to each other openly, honestly, and, and forming these bonds with each other. And, and that could be something that she now stands for. That's what I think. And because she had to suffer, she had to live at that, the two crossroads. She was 16 years old when her mother made this decision for her. That means for 16 years, she lived as a black girl. And so suddenly she, even though it was gradual, suddenly she couldn't, she had to forget what her father taught her. She had to forget the wonderful family that she had in Washington, DC, the only place that she had called home. Um, and even as they moved to New York, she still thought of that wonderful place with the closest of the family, she had to give all of that up. Mm -hmm. all of that up and so because she had she stood at the crossroads of both worlds um she's opened up this this discussion mm -hmm. of, of black and, and white and you know i've been getting a lot of emails and i need to send some of these to marie of mm -hmm. people who say to me that they're just so proud of her um not doing the story alone because so often mm -hmm. our stories have not been told by us you know, they're, they're ignored by us. Um, we have beautiful historical fiction. Bernice McFadden comes to mind, an amazing writer. Her books are greatly ignored, but then another book comes out called The Help, almost like something that Bernice wrote. And that book is, you know, gets critically acclaimed. And so people are just so thrilled that um, after yesterday, when it was a, a, the GMA interview and, and everybody got to see Marie saying she just didn't feel like she could do this alone. People are grateful. And it's so, <clears throat> excuse me, it's so interesting to me how readers are emotionally impacted by this. Yeah. Um, because I think they, they've been feeling so pushed down. So that they're just grateful. They're just grateful to Marie for telling the story, for bringing Belle to life, but for adding another voice. Though they, everybody says it's seamless. The book is seamless. They can't tell. No, they you can't. I'm, honestly, oh. I'm the one that's grateful because Victoria trusted me enough to go on this journey with me. You know, it, 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 it's not, even though the, the, 
the end result is um, we're so proud of Belle's story and so excited that we got to tell it. You know, the journey was sometimes hard, you know, to have some difficult conversations. Um, and I feel so fortunate that she trusted me enough to, to come on this ride, this crazy ride that we're on. Um, and uh, and spend all those months. Uh, it, really, when I think of the pandemic, I think of Victoria and I on Zoom every single every day. day. I feel like she was in my house during the pandemic. <laughs> Honestly, it's like we weren't even apart. Um, talking about these hard, hard issues as as things were unfolding around us, and I just am so grateful that she trusted me enough to to join me on this journey. And finally, reading that treatment that I sent her. All <laughs> But I had just decided, well, I guess she didn't like it or she didn't like the personal fiction or whatever. I, uh, I am going to have to apologize for that forever. Never. Never. <laughs> fundamental. It is so fundamental. But, and you know, one of the things, uh, Marie always says that she's grateful for me, but I'm grateful to her because I didn't hold back anything. Once that door opened up, mm -hmm. I told her about everything. I told her everything. I suffered everything. Um, everybody suffered. I remember freeway opened up in Los Angeles and my husband had a, a convertible BMW. Every single day he got stopped by the cops. Every single day coming home from work. Every day. How does that happen every day? You can't, you know, he, you, he's not speeding every single day until he finally, after about two or three months said, I'm not taking that freeway anymore. Wow. So he has to take a long way home. And it's just crazy. And um, to be able to share that with somebody that's not saying, oh, you're just complaining. Oh, you know, oh, so you could still buy your products in Apple. They don't, so what, they follow you around the store. You know, no one, that was not Marie's answer. Um, and so, because sometimes that's the answer to people. People are like, okay, you got served second. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. It is. And it, and it helped, it helped me not only understand Victoria and a lot of the things around us, but I feel like it helped me understand Belle. You know, there were moments when in the book, when, when Belle kind of loses it, she doesn't want to, you know, she, she lashes out or she, um, that her, you know, carefully crafted facade starts to peel back and she says things. And, and I, I could see it because I, I, I knew from my discussions with Victoria, how that bit by bit it weighs upon you until it's you just can't you can't keep that facade up anymore um and you know victoria there's a poem she loves about how um how black people very often have to wear a mask in the world um it seems to me more like an armor but sometimes it's, it definitely is a mask and it really helps me understand the the mask that bell had to wear um, and how infrequently she was able to take that mask off and how heavy the mask was um, and how that mask is still out there. This, it's still there um, for a, so, much, so many people, for so much of our population. And how if we had just kept on that path that we were on in 1875, maybe we would already be past all that. Um, and so there were just so many things in the story that I felt spoke to today. Um, and, you know, I felt like Belle's story, um, we feel like Belle's story is really timely. Um, not, it's not just historical fiction. It's a very modern story in its own way. It really is, especially with the civil, with the um, 
Supreme Court overturning the Civil Rights Act because the Supreme Court just overturned most of the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. And so now we're, I feel like we're back at the end of, um, it was 1888 when they finally overturned it. And now I feel like we're there again because now we're fighting for, it's not civil rights, it's voting rights, but I think voting rights yeah, are civil yeah. rights. And here we are again. And it just seems like, come on. Yeah, history has a way of repeating itself and in not good ways. And honestly, I could talk to you guys all day long. And I have one more quick question before I let you go. And it might be a little bit unfair. Would you guys plan on writing together again? That's not unfair. Oh. We're already in it. I thought yeah, it would be a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Or is it another historical fiction book? Or uh, I thought maybe, Marie, you would try a little bit of Victoria's World. Uh, I'm just so, I'm sold on historical fiction now. <laughs> he couldn't. She's not even going to, even when I have to write my own books, I can't, I am, I love it. I love to tell a person's story because I think we get to educate and entertain at the same time. The things that people are learning in Belle's, in Belle's book, you know, it's just wonderful. So she, I'm not bringing her there. She's bringing me there. <laughs> I am so happy about that because I, I would try it. But Victoria knows that um, I, I might be better with historic dialogue than modern day dialogue at this point. It's, I don't know. Because, you know, that was the, the difficult part for me, you know, because I wanted to say, what's up, dude? And then... Uh, <laughs> Marie would fix it, but Marie, you want to tell her about our next book? We're so excited. So tentatively titled, it will be out in about two years, and it's tentatively titled um, The First Ladies, and it's the story about the friendship between Eleanor Roosevelt and Mary McLeod Bethune, um, who was a, an incredible force in education and civil rights. Um, and their friendship goes back to long before um, FDR became president, um, they became friends. And their friendship, which was much protested, much reviled, um, was a force for change, not just transformatively personally for them, but in the history of our country together, they worked um, really behind the scenes, because that's really one of the primary places a woman could work back then, um, to, to effectuate change and equality in our country. And, um, and, you know, falls right in my in the sweet spot that I like about historical women who have made a, really left us an important legacy. But Victoria and I are so excited to explore the power of friendship. Um, you know, for us, our friendship has been so transformative and we hope it leads to friendships for other people and, and, and additional change. But these two women, um, they were friends at a time when um, you could be lynched for that kind of friendship. Yeah. And um, at a time when, uh, especially as she became more pow more powerful as the first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt um, and Mary McLeod Bethune received a tremendous amount of backlash. Um, and it's such a wonderful opportunity for, for Victoria and I to explore our friendship, mm -hmm. um, the way friendship and conversation can change people, the way allyship can or can't work. Um, and to really explore mistakes that, that they made along the way and that people might make when they're trying to um, trying to, to bridge the divide between us. So um, we're excited for it. Yeah. And I, I like to look at Eleanor Roosevelt as the first ally, you know, like the first, <laughs> I, I almost hope that we can put in a scene, you know, we, we haven't started on it yet, where even Mary calls her, you know, an ally. 
and that, that might be where it begins that you know that word started uh because eleanor you know tried so hard with mary and mary tried hard and mary was getting a lot of back backlash from black people saying what are you doing with those people they're using you they're only had so they could say they have this black person here and so it's just going to be so much fun i think too because because it'll be mirroring our friendship yeah I can't wait to read that, but I hope we don't have to go through another pandemic in order for you guys to no, pump out a stellar book. Not. <laughs> no, we don't have to do that. Although, I, I will say, I do think Zoom is here to stay for us, Victoria. What do you think? That's right. I think it's it would be hard to give it up at yeah. this stage. Well, That's right. guys, thank you so much for spending so thank much time you. with me. We've been talking to Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray. The book is The Personal Librarian. I recommend everyone to run out and get it and consume it and digest it and talk about it. It's just, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. much. Have a great day. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. After hearing a story like that, is it really any wonder why historical fiction is so popular? Next time, we jump back into our century for a laugh out loud book about two moms who after a night of drinking some potent sangria, switch bodies. It's Freaky Friday for the mommy set. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.